welcome to Color Commentary. Today, I am joined by Sharon Kim, and I'm super excited for this conversation. Sharon serves as the Executive Director at Mustard Seed Generation, MSG, a nonprofit organization that exists to lower mental health barriers in the Korean-American community. She was born in Paraguay to Korean parents and grew up in Paraguay, Spain, and China, and has worked in Korea and Mexico. Growing up as a global nomad, she experienced hardships that many third culture kids go through, namely anxiety that comes from constantly moving around, as well as a sense of rootlessness and identity crisis. Through these experiences, she became passionate about raising awareness of cross-cultural kids to monocultural parents and hopes to help strengthen parent-child relationships through MSG. She holds her bachelor's degree in English language and literature from Seoul National University and a master's degree in international education policy from Harvard Graduate School of Education. Oh my gosh, amazing. Sharon enjoys going anywhere and everywhere on a journey with her brown leather journal, a black pen, and a good book in hand in her spare time. I met Sharon through my volunteer time with MSG. And if y'all know me before this, you guys know I was, I am obsessed with MSG. And while I did have to take some time to rest this term, I'm so excited to reconnect with her in this way and hopefully again through MSG in the future. I'm so excited for this time to get to know her deeper in her own story and journey that brought her here today. So welcome, Sharon. Hello. Hi, hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the pod. This is so crazy because we've only interacted through like virtual settings right I know yeah knowing that our all our volunteers we work all virtually so uh, we've never met in person but I know we connected multiple times before so exactly and you were in Boston at that time and now you're in Texas or Boston no Jersey, I was East in Coast? Pennsylvania oh Pennsylvania at that time, okay. and then now I'm in Dallas Texas Yay! Yeah, I know. I think it's just so crazy how things happen. And and I'm excited because this is your first year as executive director. Was that like kind of a surprise or like? That was a surprise because we didn't see that coming. And I think us becoming an independent organization from our parent organization um, made us think a lot about, okay, so who's going to lead the new generation of people? And that was that came as a surprise. Mm -mm -mm. But how have you been enjoying it so far? It's been the most thrilling, satisfying, nerve-wracking, stressful <laughs> experience, I think, so far from all that I've done. And it's been so much fun because I feel like I'm on the front seat of a roller coaster ride and I get to experience all the ups and downs and see it firsthand. So it's been really great. So we'll talk more about MSG in general, but it just became independent within the last year, right? I was, mm -hmm. I think I was a volunteer yes. when that kind of happened and it was like yeah. really exciting. Yes. And so I can only imagine the stressors that also come with an exciting <laughs> new nonprofit. So I would love, I think whenever people hear me talk about MSG, they just like hear the passion when they hear anybody talk about MSG. They, it's just like this, like, oh my gosh, Korean American mental health, like what? But sometimes also I hear like, wait, so what, what is this exactly? And how yeah. could this actually help me if I have a quote, quote, mental health struggle? So in that yeah. sense, like, how would you describe MSG for a listener so that they can realize how this could be a great bridge for them? 
Yes, sure. So mustard seed generation, the name comes from a Bible verse where, you know, it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that grows into a big tree Mm. and provides refuge for many. And that's exactly how we envision our work is that we are planting little seeds that will later provide a refuge and healing and reconciliation for many, many broken families. And what we do at MSG, and we call it MSG in short Mm -hmm. because we love MSG too. A lot of funny people on your staff, apparently. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we call it a MSG. And what we do here is we raise awareness about mental health through education. So we do workshops, trainings, webinars, things like that, where we're working not, we don't provide intervention. So we are not clinicians. We don't do counseling. But what we do is we work on the preventative side of things by raising awareness and saying, look, for a, a community such as the Korean American community where mental health is so stigmatized, it's really hard to even talk about mental health. Mental health in Korean is actually a negative word, right? It's like being crazy, mentally crazy. But for us to be able to talk about it openly, to be able to say, hey, there's no shame, there's no Mm. stigma in seeking help, in talking about your issues, that is what we try to do. And we also work with parents with children that those intergenerational conflicts that happen between parents who are more Korean and their children who are more Americanized will have a better relationship with each other. We also provide them tools to do that. And more recently, what we now launched is we launched a new online program for church leaders. We've never had anything like this before, but you know, your listeners might know that 70 to 80% of Korean Americans attend church regularly and that's where they seek help. They don't go anywhere else, but they like to go to, you know, their elders or their pastors to seek emotional support. And a lot of the times pastors report that they feel under equipped Mm -hmm. to deal with mental health issues like such as depression, suicidal ideation. And so what we did was we came up with a very cold specific training just for Korean American church leaders so that they go through this seven-week training and they will be better equipped to build mentally healthy churches. Because mm. you guys had three different buckets, but this is becoming a main focus yes. for this year. Yes. And I think this is so important, especially like as you were even talking when I was like a youth teacher, I've had several students really open up and like that's such a great relationship to build. But I'm also mm-hmm. remembering some like self-harm sharing, you know, and like yes. things that's like, oh, my gosh, what how do I help with this? Right. And so like to hear that you guys are able to give church leaders the knowledge of what can you do when you get that information and how can you actually exactly. allow this to not fester? It's not just, a, and I, I'm not trying to say like, it's not like, let's just go pray to Jesus because that's absolutely right. important, right? But like the actual tools as well in our society that's needed, I think that's like such an important gap that you guys are bridging. And it makes a lot of sense when we think about physical health. So if somebody has a broken limb, we at church, we do say we'll pray for you, mm-hmm. but then we also direct them right. to, if they don't want to go to uh, the correct, the per- to so that they can seek appropriate help. So we take them to the ER, we take them to the doctor, but we don't do that with mental health, which yeah. should happen. And so if somebody like a youth student comes up to me and shares their self-harm actions, then how do I respond appropriately? Right. So that I'm not just saying, hey, let's pray. That's also important. But also after that, how can I take them to an appropriate place 
too so that they can seek help. Right. Oh, that's really good. Wait, so is the program still accepting registrations? Right yes. Now? Yes, it is. Plug it in. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are a Korean American church leader, any mm. leader, right? If you're a Sunday school teacher, youth leader, you know, whatever it is, and you'd like to know more about how to be better equipped in handling mental health issues with your youth students, with your congregation, whoever it might be, you can learn at learn.mustardseedgeneration.org. And if yeah. you go there, it'll lead you straight into the registration page. Okay. And I will link that because I think that's so vital. Yes. Like that's such a vital tool for us. So thanks for yes. sharing that on the front yeah, of end. Of course. MSG also, even though they don't provide clinical services themselves, you're like the messenger in between. You can act as that if people yes. are interested in finding someone right. that is of culturally competent care or whatnot. Like yes. someone that is equipped to kind of hear the struggles we do go through that maybe we feel like might not be understood right. um, in a different setting. And even I find my, found my current therapist through the MSG directory. Oh, yeah, directory. Yeah. Through all yes. of that. That's so awesome. I'm literally saying like it's a great bridge, even if they themselves might not be the service, right? Like they can connect you to that person that yes. really could be the perfect fit. We really see ourselves as bridge builders. Mm -hmm. So that's one of our core characteristics. And oh, that's a good word. Yeah. And what we do is we help people connect to the right, as you said, culturally appropriate help. And that includes Korean American therapists. And a lot of the times our Korean speaking older generation parents are a little bit afraid of going to, a, for instance, a white therapist because of language barriers, right? And so what we do is on our website, we provide an online directory with all these Korean American therapists listed out by state. And if you go to your state, you can seek help. And they, a lot of them also do telehealth. And so if you're concerned about that as well, all the distance and all that, you could also seek telehealth. But you could also reach out to us mm. so that we can connect you with, you know, if you have a special condition or something that you're looking for, you can reach out to us as well and email us and then we'll get back to you with, hey, these are our recommendations for who you should reach out to. Yes. So these are all just like resources I feel like we didn't have. So as we learn yeah. more, it's just an amazing door to open if you are interested in furthering mm -hmm. that. Sharon, how did you get involved with MSG yourself? I'm I'm hearing a lot of education in the foundation of all of Mustard Seed Generation. Mm. And, and so I know it was through Harvard with the yeah. School of Education, but if you wanted to share kind of further your journey into MSG itself. So when I was in Harvard, Kathy King, who was our previous CEO, she asked a couple of a bunch of Korean American students, you know, hey, would you like to help out at a conference? And I was like, sure, yes. And the conference was, Asian American mental health and raising awareness about that to parents and students. And I led a workshop that was on understanding your bicultural child to parents. So I spoke to parents about, hey, you're monocultural. Our children are bicultural. How do you understand them better? And that comes from my personal journey of having monocultural parents who really didn't understand what I was going through as I was moving through different continents. They didn't really provide the appropriate support that I would have wanted them to. And now I realize it's because they just didn't have the knowledge or the tools to do that. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I wanted to do is bridge that gap. And so I did that workshop and I did one. It was so funny because I did one for just any Asian American parent for the first workshop. And the second time I just did it for Korean parents and Korean. Aww. And it was so 
funny because, you know, the first workshop was very lively, lots of discussions going back and forth. And the second workshop, it was dead quiet and people were just taking notes. And then I was like, okay, so any discussion? You know, and they're like, no, we're good here. Just tell us the answers and in Korean. And I was like, oh man, this is the cultural difference that we have. But after that workshop, a mother came up to me and said, I know we did case study on like this girl who wasn't eating, was showing depressive symptoms, even though I didn't state it that way. And that mom was like, that's my kid right now. That's my daughter. Mm. What do I do? And she came to me with such desperation. And I felt so helpless. I was like, this isn't something that I can do. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a clinician. I'm so sorry, but you'll have to go to them. But that just stuck with me. And it was a heavy weight in my mind. And then I went to Kathy and I went to some of our other friends. And we started talking about what we noticed through our workshops because everyone else led workshops. And we all noticed that in the Korean American community, there was a sense of, I want to know more. I want to learn more. Give me more information because this is what we are going through right now. And we just felt a sense of responsibility. Like, what do we do about this? Should we create a nonprofit? And that's when we went to Dr. Josephine Kim, who was directing all of this conference. And we asked her and she said, oh, you know what? I actually have a nonprofit that I started in, back in 2007. Do you want to restart that? And we were like, yes. I don't know what we were thinking when we said yes, but we were just like, yes, <laughs> sure, of course. That would be great. Um, and we did that. And that's how we started Mr. C Generation. We restarted it in 2017. Yeah, I always wondered what the, it was founded in like earlier 2000s and then the refounding of it. And so it was a group of you guys that brought it together. And how were like those early stages of even making it as established as it is today? It's not established today. <laughs> still have a long way to go. That's how I feel. But yes, compared to what it was like, I mean, after we said yes to Dr. Josephine Kim, what we did was we just came together and we just prayed every week, mm -hmm. prayed, prayed, prayed. And I can't emphasize that enough. I know some of your listeners might not identify as Christians mm -hmm. or religious, but for us, because we were all Christians, we felt the sense of this is so much greater than us and we can't mm -hmm. solve this and we don't know what to do. So please help us. And so we always prayed. And that led to weekly meetings where we just literally, we did everything. We, we just got out our Google Drive and we all got our emails together. We started thinking about, okay, what, did, what does it mean to set up a nonprofit? It was literally a startup phase. Um, I remember looking up bylaws, nonprofit bylaws, yeah. templates. And then copying that and then applying that and kind of modifying it to our own nonprofit and then feeling so proud and accomplished to have written a bylaw. Yeah. You know, you'd never do that anywhere else. And I'm like, yes, I got to write a bylaw because this was such a startup that we had to do everything ourselves. And so figuring that out and then figuring out, okay, what is our next step? And our next step was hosting a conference, a family conference in Dallas where Kathy was located and she had good relationships with other churches that we hosted that. So we were all like putting our energy into hosting that first conference, which went really well. And it was so great. 
And then it's like not established yet, but kind of established. (laughs) I mean, at least to a point where people are able to use y'all's resources, use your teachings and really Mm -hmm. bring true change in their own lives. So I think Mm -hmm. that and and some of your staff even, I feel like, have just been like transformed through Mustard Seed. So it's just amazing to see that testimony through this organization. So I'm excited. Um, But we're not just here just for Mustard Seed. right? I want to know more about you, too, because you've definitely set a standard in just sharing at our meetings when I was a volunteer and learning just a lot about you have a unique upbringing and even as I shared your bio you've been all over the world you've had so many experiences and while that's awesome and if someone were to hear where you've lived they're like wow you know that sounds so cool I can only imagine that can also bring a lot of who am I right and a lot of just identity crisis like you had mentioned and so if it's not too much I'd kind of like to hear about that journey itself and what were some of those third culture kid experiences that a lot of us don't relate to because we probably even just have an identity crisis as Korean Americans itself right Um, you have additional layers that I would love to hear more about yeah I think there are a lot of I married a Korean American best husband in the whole wide world Um, but yeah he and I relate on a lot of things even though he never left the U.S. He just moved around inside the United States. We relate a lot because of the cross-cultural differences that we experience, discrimination or things like that. I think there is definitely similarities between Korean Americans and third culture kids. But my story is, so my parents met in Paraguay. Their families had immigrated to Paraguay and they met at a hospital. They were medical professionals and they got married. They had us. And funny thing is that my two siblings and I, We really grew up thinking that we were Paraguayans. I really didn't see myself any different. I may have noticed that I looked a little bit different, but that was nothing. I remember being near a bus stop and this older gentleman, I was very young at that time. He kind of turned around and he said, wow, you have perfect Spanish. And for him, that was, you know, he was complimenting on my Spanish as an Asian kid who spoke Spanish perfectly. And I turned around to him and said in my most educated voice, I said, sir, isn't it obvious that a Paraguayan should speak Spanish perfectly. <laughs> like for me, that was out of the question that he was saying that. I didn't understand yeah. why he was saying that because at that point, up until that point, I really believed I was fully Paraguayan. And it was only when I turned 13 in sixth grade when my parents said, oh, we're going to China. And it was a bomb that was dropped. They were called to become medical missionaries to China. Mm-hmm. And for me, I had no idea what that meant. And I said, I don't want to move there. Where's China? And they said, it's next to Korea, silly. And I had never been to Korea, but Mm. I don't know how they expected me to know that. And they said, that's where you're from. And I was like, what? I'm from where? And that's when I I moved to China and we landed and I walked out is when I saw all these black haired people who looked like me. And I was like, whoa, okay. So like, I guess I am Asian. That was the first time I actually came across my race and ethnicity but that was so I moved from Spain Paraguay China and grew up secondary school was mostly in China and then went to school in Korea for undergrad and that upbringing I think as I mentioned in my bio it is great there are a lot of positives I did think a lot about you know do I want to raise my children the same way by 
letting them experience cross-cultural living, international living. And I do, I do want them to experience that because there's so much that comes with it, such as being culturally competent, knowing how to talk to anyone without any judgment, being able to work in not just black and white situations, but also in very gray situations, being okay with ambiguity, with change, constant change, constant goodbyes, constant Mm -hmm. hellos, right? And for me right now, I think now that I look back, I also see that there were a lot of consequences to unaddressed trauma, not knowing what was happening, not having a sense of control of my life, being thrust into places that I didn't want to be in, and not having communicated that with my parents Mm. and having them sit down with me and just say, hey, this is what we're doing next. Nope. It was a very traditional Korean family way of saying, we're doing this, no questions asked, you're going to follow what I say. Mm. And so I think there were a lot of difficulties that come with that. So you're a third culture kid and you're a missionary kid. Yes, yes. (laughs) I feel like those are like, people usually have like one of these. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Another positive is I'm like always wowed when you lead conferences and you translate in Korean or I guess you could also translate in Spanish. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. She's so cool. But right, like like you mentioned, right, the unaddressed trauma is so key in, in a lot of our struggles that we feel that we've never been able to explore that. And so... One, with that, if we were to go deeper, like, was that a struggle in the sense of like, what are some of your own mental health journeys that you might have been on? And when maybe did you also feel like you were able to find closure in this trauma that you feel like was Mm. not addressed at the beginning? Yeah, so my mental health journey, what we say in Mustard Seed Generation, everyone has mental health, and some people have mental illness. So mental illness doesn't equate to mental health. And for me, my mental illness, Mm. when I when I realized that it was very severe, that's when I realized I had something called mental health. And even then, I don't think I had all the language and tools like I do now. So MSG has been a blessing for me personally as well, too. But it was specifically in high school where I was going through a lot. I couldn't deal with normal situations. I was, and it was interesting because on the outside, I was a perfect A student. Like Mm -hmm. I was excelling in all these different things. And yet internally, I was going through depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. suicidal ideation. In senior year, my suicidal ideation got so bad that I Mm -hmm. I really did. I just, it slipped. And I say it slipped accidentally because I didn't mean to say it. I didn't want to have to deal with the consequences of sharing it with somebody Mm. else but my social studies teacher when she heard that she got very alarmed and she got a counselor for me and when we heard that but it was interesting because when I didn't want to deal with the consequences it was specifically the way that my parents would react and when I got back home after you know the school was like we need to tell your parents we need to you know let them know and I was like no because Mm. when I got home my mom was furious and that was her reaction was she was like why on earth would you want to kill yourself Mm -hmm. there's no reason for you to be you know for me I was being ungrateful and I remember kind of yelling back at her and saying this is exactly why I don't share things with you and I just went in and closed the door and then later she came back and then she was crying and I realized that she had been crying in the kitchen and she came back and she kind of laid down next to me and said you know, if I lose you, I don't have anything else. And at that moment, I was like, 
in my mind, in my even in my young mind, I was like, "Mom, you need to get a life." <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> like I can't be your everything.、Yeah. I shouldn't. That's just so unhealthy. I don't know who taught me that. Nobody taught me that. But I remember thinking, like, I can't keep living up to your expectations.、Yeah. And my parents had been up until that point very, very strict, and they expected perfection. Or excellency, it was either or, but nothing less. And if I made a mistake, such as like a ninety-eight on my test, that would mean like huge trouble. And so for them, excellency, like it just meant that we needed to be model citizens, live like perfect lives for others. And they had very high expectations of me, and that led to severe anxiety, severe you know stress about. Succeeding and achieving academically, but I think that was the very lowest point in my life. And with that, also during that time, what my parents didn't know is that I was being sexually abused for a long time、mm-hmm. by my partner, by my boyfriend at that moment, at that time.、Mm-hmm. And so that, with emotional abuse, you know, verbal、yeah. abuse, that, all that that comes with it, it was just for me really hard to think that. For me, in my mind, was if there is a hell. Which I believe there was, you know, it couldn't be worse than my present,、mm-hmm. and so I wanted to end it right there, and that's why I kind of sorry, I'm so sorry for your listeners if this is a little bit triggering. I'm I apologize, and you know, if you want to take a moment to pause and recalibrate, that's totally okay.、Mm-hmm. For me, the reason I didn't decide to end my life was just the thought of that there might be a god, and if there is a god, then there's going to be judgment and punishment, or you know, like I won't be able to be redeemed. I guess in a sense, and for me, that that was the only last thread that kept me going and waking up every day. But I think slowly, as I went and transitioned, graduated, broke up, graduated, moved away from my past situation. And then moved to a new environment. It came with a new set of challenges, where、mm. I was dropped in a country that I was supposed to call my own, and I had reverse culture shock. I looked Korean. All up, up until that point, I had been a foreigner. And anywhere I went, I knew I was a foreigner, except in Paraguay. But I knew I was a foreigner. I knew I had I was different. But in Korea, I looked Korean. People expected me to act Korean, but I didn't, and I thought very differently. And that was such a reverse culture shock that that came with its own set of challenges. And I think it was really a lot of support from my church community, a lot of support from my friends, and. Seeking help, I, even at that moment, I didn't see a therapist or a counselor. But doing a lot of internal reflection has helped me. And even now, I still live with depression. I still live with. And your your second question was, you know, how did that journey end, or what does that look like? Things that trauma that were unaddressed. And for me, I still am always thinking about who am I?、Mm-hmm. Do I belong? Or what am I doing here on this earth? And all these different questions still come to me. I think it's, and I, I don't, I can't say I found an answer of、yeah. where is my home, who am I, but I feel like the more I'm aware of my triggers, the more I'm aware of when I feel sad, when I need to take care of myself, the better I'm equipped to deal with my health, with my mental health health,、um, and I'm able to also. Love others better, like especially my husband, for instance, right? Who is always there for me, but I may not be able to take care of because of my mental health itself is not there yet. So I think it's ongoing, and I I have a feeling it's going to be a lifelong process of you know being comfortable with myself, knowing who I am, being okay with that. 
it also really helped to meet others who were from the same background as me, so other TCKs, and learning that that was a thing, learning that being culturally homeless was a thing. And yeah, I found a lot of comfort in others who were walking in similar you know, paths as me. Thank sorry, you. that was a lot. No, <laughs> don't say sorry. I just, I'm one, really grateful that you chose to just open up about things that you did go through and even just thinking about like youth sharing and, and yeah, like I think a lot of youth kids or in general in that generation, we, we do have these thoughts or have these struggles and then not knowing where to turn for that and for the things you had to go through. So I just, my heart is for you. And also I'm really glad to to hear even those like small slivers that did keep you going and that we're here today talking about it. So mm. really grateful. Yeah, I think one thing I did also appreciate you sharing was that your depression isn't over, you know? And mm. I think like, mm-hmm. you know, even for me, like a year ago is when I realized I am depressed and that's okay to say those words or say mm. those feelings. But right, like when you start to feel certain things, you're like, oh, okay, like if I see a therapist, then I'll be done with it. Or I don't know, like mm. there's an end to this. And yeah. I think it's helpful to realize like it could feel discouraging, but it's also just the reality of, you know, that journey might never end, but it's yeah. what you said, like finding those triggers and being aware of and being able to communicate that with the community is even a more powerful way of combating this with those around you. So that's really a helpful tip. Ah, thank you for sharing, Sharon. No, yeah. Um, So you're here now. So you came to America for grad school. That's when you came to America. Right, right. So only six, seven years ago, I would say. Six years ago. That's crazy. Uh, I don't know. Like, yeah. So do you feel like you were pressured in a sense to find a cultural identity in the realm of when you've you know that cultural homelessness is a thing right Mm -hmm. but like as you are even in this space of msg who's focusing on korean americans or like these (laughs) words but i'm like but your whole upbringing is like not here which is amazing so much experience and wisdom like how does that all marry together and it doesn't have to but it doesn't yeah (laughs) i'm still i'm still questioning about that like god why why me like (laughs) so cool yeah that you're you're leading all of this at the top and it's just like wow I, i yeah like i think when we started msg that was my biggest thing the reason i was working on MSG was because I loved the people I was working mm-hmm. with. I loved that community. And I also loved working in a startup environment. It was not necessarily because I felt like I could identify with Korean Americanness and like I had this inside of me. And, and so for me, it was always like a, I felt, felt like an outsider always all the time. And I definitely knew that I wasn't, you know, the typical Korean American, uh, first generation or second generation immigrant. And when I transitioned into the ED role, that was my biggest question was, I feel like I'm the least qualified mm. by all definitions. I'm not a mental health professional. I did not do not have a mental health background. I am not a Korean American. I didn't even grow up here. Like, what do I know about how to lead an organization that is very niche that mm-hmm. deals with Korean American mental health? That insecurity, I mean, I, I feel like is with everyone. But for me, it was that kind of insecurity that still plays a role now um, where I am led to 
really depend on God. I remember like <laughs> when I got my job description, I was like, I laid it out on the floor and I was like, God, I can't do this. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. I don't know any of these things. Like, I don't know how to do this. You're going to have to do it. And mm. I knew up until even before I became a NID while working on MSG, there were so many astounding supernatural things that had happened that I knew it wasn't our doing. So I knew that God was in control. I knew he was going to take care of it. So it felt easier. It felt like he trained me to be like, okay, when I transitioned into the ED role, I was like, okay, this is you continuing to do your work mm -hmm. and me continuing to depend on you. But yeah, that, that is still what I struggle with. Yeah. <laughs> Hope I do get a lot of help from my Korean American yeah. husband, but <laughs> you know, and, and there are a lot of things that overlap that I understand, but I also don't want to assume that I know everything yeah. either. It's kind of crazy. Cause even when you're sharing in Paraguay about the man who was like, wow, your Spanish is perfect, right? Like we, it's just like you change Yes. English to Spanish. But exactly. Like, oh God, wow, that's so interesting. Like I wouldn't, for some reason, I wouldn't expect that to happen in like a another country. But it's <laughs> like that makes so much sense, right? And then like we're just like, well, we're born here. Why shouldn't we know, right? So it's <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. So it's like sharing that experience in a different way, but in the, in the in a shared way as well. So yeah. so that was kind of cool to hear and puts things in perspective. So then, as you're here and as you do kind of transition into some of the words that describe MSG and, and your own leadership. I am curious, like, what are some things you have noticed or insights, right, as you educate yourself even more and even in this conversation, like, bring in subtle ways of, like, what is the correct terms or what are the ways to remind us of what mental health and all of that, right? Because we're still all learning, like, how to appropriately define and address all of this. What are some trends you have found about the Korean community in relation to mental health? You don't have to, like, name all of them because we can also point our listeners to your podcast, but um, <laughs> just, like, a few. Sure. I always tell my non-Korean friends is, the Korean American community has a very unique set of challenges when it comes to mental health, mm -hmm. namely immigration trauma, being acculturated into a new country. So what our parents or the first generation might have gone through, the language barriers, discrimination, prejudice, bias that they experienced and didn't have anyone to go to and always being seen as a perpetual foreigner. Even if you're born here, you are seen as a perpetual foreigner. That, all those things, and not only that, but within the family, there are intergenerational conflicts that happen because of the what I mentioned before. You have a more Koreanized parent and a more Americanized child trying to deal with life together, but just being in conflict constantly because of their different cultural backgrounds and upbringings. And so these are just some of the many challenges that Korean Americans and may I say like other immigrant mm -hmm. communities also have to go through. And that all has an effect on your mental health and your well-being. And if you don't address that, if you don't have a language around that or tools to address it, an awareness, you might think that something's wrong with you when in fact it's a communal thing. Something bigger that happened, people coming from Korea when they first immigrated uh, out of Korea into the U.S., they were running away from a war-torn country. They were coming as refugees, mm -hmm. essentially. And we know that the refugees have to deal with their own trauma, right? And that trauma gets passed down generation to generation, mm -hmm. which is, I think it's my, our current podcast episode right now. Yes, I'm like, and I so really love that one. <laughs> Yes, I learned so much through that as well. But those are just some of the things that our Korean American friends go through. Those are the trends that we see. And yet, 
because mental health is so stigmatized, because talking about your problems, airing your dirty laundry, it, it's seen as you're bringing shame to your family. Mm. You shouldn't talk about you know your family mm. issues outside the family. It just really stops people from seeking appropriate help, and that's where we want to bridge that gap. Is saying no, no, it's okay. We need help, and we all need help. We need a communal therapy, a communal thing, right? Intervention, but we also need individual. Individual intervention as well. So all these things work together, and it, it's just a, such a challenging population as well. And one thing that I I was shocked when I came to the U.S. I lived as a foreigner all my life, and I knew I was going to be discriminated against. I knew I had lesser rights than the nationals living in that country. But when I watched my husband, who was born and raised here, racism more as an American than Korean go and have to deal with discrimination or experience that I was outraged I was like no that should that's not right like I it's okay if it happens to me because I'm a foreigner but you you grew up here this place belongs to you Mm -hmm. as much as anyone else and why are we not speaking up why are you have why do you have to deal with this why do we have to be seen as you know, eternal foreigners who don't belong be just because you don't see us on mainstream culture, right? So I think I was outraged in that sense. And I realized, wow, this war on culture, on diversity, and all these things that have been happening in the US that aren't talked about outside or that are talked about in different ways in different cultures. But here, it just, for me, it was just such a shock that when on the outside, I thought America was this perfect melting pot of cultures and beautiful Mm. Zootopia, right, of different like I was that naive bunny in Zootopia in the movie Zootopia that everyone did everyone had their own dreams everyone fit in but no it was actually there are there are actually hierarchies and classes and, and ceilings that people don't really talk about that are hard to break and you know I think it is really up to us to speak up and and really fight back and just say hey we all belong and we all want to have a say right so that's those are many of the things that you know our korean american families go through yeah like you were alluding to in your pat well when this airs your podcast will be on a little break <laughs> soon to come back up so hi to get back <laughs> but um as we're talking right now your most recent episode with the historical Trauma. trauma right yeah. and it was it was really interesting because like you guys were talking about how our grandparents or even great-grandparents or whatever would have this like war-torn trauma and then they would bring it with them but their kids wouldn't know why it's there but they inherit that trauma right and then it comes yes. I mean because even I am now realizing I have this trauma too and like I don't want to blame my parents for that trauma mm. at all but like also like I need to just figure out where there is that interracial passing down of not because yes. of anyone's fault in that but even just yeah. lack of how to process lack of how to even right. communicate that and then yes our culture of like shame and all of those things so just right. just learning about those things has been really helpful to understand and not like deny in our culture but you know mm-hmm. see that and say wait no that's not me or that's not something I want to carry on so how do mm-hmm. I stop that here you know yeah like you mentioned the coping strategies that helped our grandparents or the older generation deal with mm-hmm. all the trauma that they experienced were passed down as if they were beliefs or customs yeah. and now we are just like oh that's what it means to be Korean yeah. but no that's what it means to be a refugee right that, that's what it means to like have trauma right. and 
I think if we can talk about them, even for our next generation, since we're both like, uh, you are a parent, I'm a parent to be, I'm a parent to be, thinking about, okay, what do I really want to pass down to the next generation? And thinking about what are some traumas that I experienced and the habits, lifestyle habits that came out of it? Mm. And do I really want to pass them down to them? Is it necessary? And is it not? And how can I help them live even more satisfying lives? Yeah, because our older generations almost didn't have that capacity to understand or even mm-hmm. sit down and think like that. Right. And if anything, like now that I think about it, it's like, yes, I, I definitely still want to like, you know, live a good life, like financially as well, because I know <laughs> that's so important. Mm-hmm. But also just thinking about, you know, with this freedom that they also sacrifice to come here, like there's a freedom and mental, like mental freedom too. I don't know if mm. that makes sense. Just like thinking about with that sacrifice, I can unchange or unlearn some of those ways because because we have more of this like freedom to do I don't know so that's yeah exciting to think about but let's point to your podcast right now (laughs) Um, I know it's research sense but you can share the whole title yeah so it's research sense for Korean American therapy Uh and we called it sense because it was like a Korean also Konglish word it's like sense Uh, where you have that sense of what's happening or Mm. what's what's going on around and so research sense just means having a sense of what's been what's happening on the Korean American mental health research side of things and what we do is we break down research articles every week and we make them more accessible by just talking about it in layman's terms yeah. what it what is background what was the problem that the researchers wanted to solve or find out about what are the results and then what are the implications of those results and so we just talk about different issues that we've been seeing through research articles such as the historical trauma mm-hmm. of what korean americans had to go through or koreans had to go through mm-hmm. or intergenerational stuff parents or you know things like that so we were very surprised because dr samuel Kim, who's my co-host, and I, I, I just said, when he proposed, hey, let's start this podcast, I was like, Sam, nobody's going to listen to no. it. Like, <laughs> who on earth would listen to a research article being broken down in layman's terms? And there's no, we are the nerdy ones, but I'm sure there's no other nerdy one out there. And we were so surprised that we've heard people, you know, listening to it and actually finding it helpful. So we're pleasantly surprised but yeah I have had people share like what would they want to hear on my podcast and part of it is on mental health and what that means or what that looks Mm. like and while Mm -hmm. I can provide like stories and like you know experiences I cannot provide the research or like the backings (laughs) or even like things like that and I think your podcast is just this perfect way to make it so simple and not simple Mm. as like making you like you guys are taking out content right like you guys Mm. are literally getting an article or something and you're breaking that down and just discussing Mm -hmm. it and through those like you had one on indebtedness and just listening to those things right it's just like yeah that's what I struggle with too and just like being able to hear that right it's all about empathy and feeling like that's not just me alone or Mm -hmm. someone else alone but hearing it in even like a research sense of it all yeah how cool is that so also it's like 
usually less than 20 minutes. And I think even now that I think about it, it's a good resource to share with my parents because you guys also put little like Konglish words and you guys are really good at pronouncing the words and stuff like that. <laughs> so I think even those like Korean words are so nice for adults to hear if you want to connect with your parents or with other people to have simple conversations like, oh, I listened to this podcast. What did you guys think about it? I think that's such a good conversation starter. So those resources are being available once again for people who don't know how to start and you guys have that knowledge to help kind of facilitate that extra step props to thank you thank you <laughs> um I, I guess a few more questions just on yeah. um when would you say is the right time to start exploring your mental health mental illness if so journey like I guess in a sense, like for me, right, I've had in the past year, like as you shared as well, like I, I did have like suicidal thoughts come into my mm -hmm. mind, right? Mm -hmm. And so it would be like, oh, but I'm sure everyone has these thoughts, right? And then like, mm -hmm. then it came to a place where it became more ideation. And then it came more like, oh, let's be in a room where something is there that could, you know, things like that. And so I guess in those senses, right, it's like, oh, when it gets to that point, because I feel like some people might just be at the thoughts and be like, oh, that's okay, like everyone has those or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, how do we encourage, not that go to a therapist right now, like, you know, mm -hmm. but how, how do we have those conversations, I guess, or point into that direction sooner than later? Yeah, of course. So there was a, thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry to hear that you you went through that so uh, there's a great illustration that dr josephine kim used mm. mental health hygiene is as important as dental and oral hygiene mm. just like we brush our teeth twice a day every day for two minutes we also need to take care of our mental health every single day there has to be something that we do just like physical exercise eating regularly, eating good food, you know, doing mental health exercises and reflections, things that are good for us, I think is very, very important. And just like you wouldn't want to be next to somebody who hasn't brushed their teeth for a month and then just tries to do it all at once, right? When it's really bad or it's like, you know, they have cavities. It doesn't make sense for us to seek help only when things are really serious. Yeah. But the unfortunate trend is that it is true that people only seek help when it's actually serious and they feel like they have no sense of control, when they feel like they're harming themselves or others. You know, research statistics show that, it, you know, it'll take 7 to 12 years. I might be wrong on the exact numbers, but it takes a whole, like a decade for people to actually go from, okay, I'm depressed to seeking help. And that was certainly true for me much longer, like I think I really recently started seeing a counselor, but mm -hmm. even for me as well, right? So even when working in a mental health field or arena, and that's so true for others as well. So I would encourage everyone who's listening to this to not think about mental health as a hard concept or, you know, something difficult, something that you have to do only when you feel like I, I have to get help or else, or my friend needs to get help or else. I think it's something that we can all do, practice these exercises, create healthy habits, mental health habits that create create a healthier us that can in the end for instance like what we are trying to do is going back to the mustard seed metaphor like what we are trying to do by creating healthy mental health habits is creating really great roots and really deep roots that go down deeply so that we can weather bad life's challenges and mm. life circumstances and on the outside it may look like we're going through all these 
external factors that that keep hitting us and challenging us. But on the inside, because if we take care of our mental health, if we take care of our well being, then we are strong and we can still stay resilient. Mm. And so I think it's important for everyone to start now. Start thinking about if you are to a point. That, for instance, you know, therapy is more for people who have a mental illness or a diagnosable illness, whereas counseling is more for people who everyday challenges. You need, you have somebody to talk to.、Mm. You have a counselor, you have a coach, you have a guide to talk to. So even just seeking mental health, just, and just like we would go to and do six month checkups, dental checkups, just doing that regularly also helps for your mental health as well. That's helpful, even just to break. Therapist versus counselor too, right? So that it's even feeling like it's a baby step rather than like、yeah. you have to go for this point or not. So、yeah. I think that's、mm-hmm. all helpful terms. And for you, when you wrote, you love to go with a brown leather journal and a black <laughs> pen. Like I, I do think like journaling seems to be just such a good outlet, you know. And、yes. like just maybe if we have another episode someday, but like what are some tips in journaling that have helped you? <laughs> yeah. So I think. Journaling is not for everyone. I cannot see my husband, for instance, sitting down journaling. <laughs> so don't feel bad. Like, like, don't think that journaling is the only way、right. to take care of your mental health. Right, right.、Um, and that that's like the the way. But it's not. It's just one of the many ways. And what I do is I write down what's upsetting me right now. There are a few questions you can ask yourself. How am I feeling? Really? What makes me angry? What makes me anxious? What makes me upset? And just listing those down, even when you don't feel like you have to do that, those like just even like sitting down and you you think that you're having a good day, and then you write down your anxiety. I'm like, wow, I have I do have a lot on my mind, right? Like you、mm. realize that you are carrying a lot on your shoulders, and then to t- to ask yourself, okay, what am I going to do about those? Is these are these things that I can control? No. Okay, things that you can't control, then why worry about it? Things that you can control, okay, then what are you gonna do about those?、Mm. Um, but most of the time, I'm going to be very honest. I do not do that most of the times. What I do is I just literally write down <laughs> what I'm grateful for. That was second tip. Just writing down. Gratefulness, like being grateful,、mm. um, and just writing down ten things and forcing myself to write down ten things. For me, who's always challenged to be more grateful, who's challenged to think、mm. a little more positively, especially when my depression is at its low, I think it's super nice because it. I do come out, you know, going in. It just takes me a f- couple of minutes to do that, but after that exercise, I feel like I have a better. You know, just positive, more positive attitude,、um, and I do look at it. And I'm like, wow, that list was very poor, poorly written. Like it's like nothing. Like I'm grateful for my tissue that's next to me while I'm crying. You know, like I sometimes I really can't think of anything. But even that for me is like, wow, okay, I am being grateful. I am living a satisfying life. So I think it's it's really important for me, like to have learned that. You know, even with depression, I can live a satisfying and happy life.、Um, yeah, I just have to know how to deal with it. I just have、yeah. to know when to address it, and also prep. You know, my pe- the people next to me around just prep them how to deal with it. But it's really like now. There was a point in time where my middle school students, when I was teaching in the past in Mexico, they were sharing, you know, life's challenges, and I was like, "Hey, look, I know it's so it's really challenging right now." 
and that life is hard, but it will get better and it does get better. Like I am so glad now, looking back, that I didn't take my life and I didn't end it. Only because now I know, after coming through that dark tunnel, life is much more beautiful. That there is hope. There is. Hope for healing, hope for healing intergenerationally, like between my parents and I.、Mm. Hope for healing for me and my past self. Hope for healing with me right now and my future self. Right. So there's all these things that I am so grateful for to be alive now, and that I didn't take that action、mm. then.、Um, that I really hope that you know, if you are listening and you feel depressed and down, and you've been struggling, that you do not chama, which is like a Korean word for just going suffering、yeah. it alone. And I don't want you to suffer alone. Like I want you to. Live thriving lives, and there is help for that. There is always an outlet, and so yeah, just seek help. It's you don't have to suffer silently. Yes. Oh, what a great way to end all of this.、Uh, and I still have so many questions, but I think like like even as you touched on like intergenerational healing and what that could have looked like, and even your own walk, I have multiple more questions. But we'll hopefully save it for another day. But I just wanted to thank you so much for this time. Did you want to share anything? On this part, before we ask lame questions. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you were to be a fruit, what would you be and why? A pineapple. Oh, it is only because I love pineapples.、Oh. There's no other reason. I just love pineapples, and if I had to put a meaning to it, it would be because the outside is so different from the inside.、Mm. Um, and I, I, one of my pet peeves, I think, is when people box other people in、um, into a certain category, because I never fit in any box, and I really. Disliked it when people did that to me. Oh, you、mm. must be Korean, or you must be this, you must be that. But you know, when you cut a pineapple, it's a bright yellow. So I love that about pineapples. And I, and, but really, it's only because I I like pineapples. But I love your analogy to it. I think that works perfectly. <laughs> and I think even just thinking back to. When you're like, why? Why are you ED? Like, it's just so clear. Even like the way that you can share that empathy and that experience, and not box. When I think it's so easy to box in, right? Like、mm-hmm. you have that ability to see past that, and、mm-hmm. I just feel like you're in the perfect place that you're meant to be. So. I'm excited to volunteer again soon. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs>、um, okay, so I'm going to ask you some fast questions, and you can just share them really quickly. Okay, okay? rapid fire.、Um, favorite book of all time? Tuesdays with Maury. By Mitch Albom.、Oh, okay. Proudest accomplishment. <laughs>、uh, becoming a mom in a few months. Yay! <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Ideal baby moon trip if there were no travel restrictions. Ooh! Oh, so we are going to Portugal for a baby moon <gasps> in a, in few weeks. So I'm excited for that. That that that's my ideal. Have you been there when you no, were in not Spain? Portugal? Okay. Spain, no. So not you、Portugal. never flew、yeah. over. Oh, no, also that'll no, be exciting. Yeah, exactly. I was like, maybe you're gonna show your husband the the good places. Maybe、no. you guys gonna discover it、yeah. together. <laughs> oh, we'll have so much fun. That's exciting.、Yeah. Uh, biggest fear for motherhood. Wow. Um. That my child will later in their teenage life say, "I don't want to be like you, and you raised me wrong." Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared of that too, so I have no encouragement. <laughs> But hopefully, yes. Hopefully not.、Um, greatest blessing of marriage. Sounds like you guys have. A good Ooh, oh, oh man, the companionship.、Mm. Like I call my husband; he is my biggest supporter and yet my biggest critic,、mm. and because he wants me to. 
be so much better. When we were about to get married, he was like, you know, I'm not, I don't love you for who you are, but for who you'll become <laughs> and, and for your potential. And I was like, wait a <laughs> wait second, a, is that a compliment or is that, <sighs> I'm feeling, I'm not feeling good right now. But, you know, in the end, like what I realized was, oh, that was a, a sweet thing to say because the companionship that I have with him and the constant support and criticism and, you know, all these things that he shows me, the unconditional support that he shows me is really, I never had that growing up, moving mm. around so much and it was always you know a lot of goodbyes whereas he is my first constant yeah. in my life and so yeah. even my parents you know had to move on and go to different places to serve in different fields whereas you know he is he's been my constant and so that constant companionship I think it's the huge and the biggest blessing at first it's like oh wait like what does that mean when he says that but it's like oh that's so true because you're you're going to grow in marriage like you mm-hmm. there's no choice but to grow no. <laughs> yeah. like yeah. So even just like for who you are going to become is is very mm-hmm. forward thinking. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, guilty pleasure food. I guess in general, but since you're pregnant, oh. it could also be a craving. I don't know. Ooh, I love chocolate. I did love chocolate before pregnancy. Not anymore. But that's something that I. It's my go to. Is like chocolatey cookies is my guilty mm-hmm. pleasure. Um, and when I'm depressed, my counselor asked me, so when do you know you're depressed? What are the signs? And I said, I, I know exactly when I'm depressed, when I get on my comfy clothes and read all the Harry Potter books in sequence, can't stop. And I'm eating chocolate. Like, that's when I know, okay, I, there's something wrong. (laughs) I need to, like, I need help or I need to like reflect. And I, this is my depression showing that in a very Mm. concrete way. That's helpful to know. Like that sounds yeah. so like picture perfect. Something like oh, you're yeah. reading, oh, yeah. but right, like for you, like you know what that means. So that's yeah, oh, right, that's right. so interesting. <laughs> and last three words to describe yourself. Ooh, okay, passionate. Mm-hmm. I can become passionate about anything. If you showed me a documentary about Beatles, I am going to become passionate <laughs> about Beatles. Um, I, I justice is something I love, mm. and always um, growing up, even when I was little. Um, I would kick people around for like making fun of somebody like I would be that I thought I was like an angel of justice for some reason (laughs) and that is still in me where I get very passionate about social injustice Um, and that's very strong for Enneagram one which you are really yeah yeah so it's kind of like making sense Uh (laughs) and then um, and then lastly what would I say I think creative I think I love being creative I love even you know when you think about nonprofit organizations you might not think that that's a creative job but for us because it's such a niche organization where you don't have a model organization to go after but you're creating your own path it needs so much creativity oh, and i love that portion about working at mustard seed Wow. I'm so happy for this time. (laughs) Um, I feel like people will definitely have a lot of questions. So this is already my invitation someday in the future when we're both struggling with our newborns. Yes. (laughs) Which is not an ideal time at all. But (laughs) but yeah, um, I'll post MSG links and handles and research sense links and all of that because I feel like these are resources that will be perfect for listeners so thank you thank you yeah I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Sharon's journey and follow for more that's to come thank you guys for listening to color commentary (laughs) 
Happy Mental Health Awareness Month. I am so grateful Sharon came on the pod and so vulnerably shared parts of her resilient story to how far she has come today in her own mental health illness. Did you know that 33% of Korean Americans reportedly struggle with depression and mental health problems? However, we are three times less likely to see professional help than white Americans due to social stigma, linguistic and cultural barriers, and an overall lack of awareness. This month is so important to realize the resources that are available specifically to us and the ways that we can make steps to breaking intergenerational trauma and releasing freedom forward. Please take time to take care of yourselves, check in on your needs, and leverage tools like at msgeneration or www.mustardseedgeneration.org and check out the podcast Research Sense for Korean American Therapy as Small Bridges to a Healthier You. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you never have to miss another. Go to at Kohler Commentary to comment your key takeaways and join the email list to share what you would like to hear about next. This is Unji Kohler signing off for today. See you next time.